we know today that 20% of all women tested have diminished ovarian reserve. Instead of scaring you with that information, we want to empower you. Like, we just think information is power, and we don't want you to be caught blindsided to know at a very young age you have diminished ovarian reserve. Why didn't somebody tell me that when I was 26 or 27 and could have done something about it? Women need to be treated as first-class citizens in healthcare and the primary decision makers. Thanks to the power of social media platforms like Instagram, women are really pushing each other forward and empowering one another to learn more and take action for their own health. Coming up, you'll hear from Gina Bartasi, founder and CEO of KindBody, a full-service women's health and fertility platform reinvented for the women of today and about acting on the vision of building a solution that's about making women's lives easier. You'll also hear why knowledge is truly power and learn why KindBody is passionately leaning into their strong growth in a big way. KindBody's personal meaning to one of us at Socialfly and how the journey has changed for Gina from knocking down doors of opportunity to answering them. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Gina, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We are so excited to talk to you today and share your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really want to understand, how did you first develop your passion for women's fertility? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm really a former patient. Um, I had always been an entrepreneur. I started my first business about five years after undergrad school in 1996 in Atlanta. So I've always been kind of a serial entrepreneur. I think entrepreneurs and the success of their business has to do with a number of factors, but really having a passion to create change is critical, we think, to the success. And so going through fertility treatment and struggles and seeing the tremendous disparity in success rates and the tremendous disparity in pricing and living in New York City and having all of this information, but still really struggling to find truth um, in pricing and disparity of fertility treatments um, is really what um, created the first company that I built in the fertility space called Fertility Authority about 10 years ago. What's crazy is so little has still changed. 10 years later, you're nodding your head. If you talk to other patients that are going through treatment, again, there's this tremendous confusion um, about um, patient experience and success rates and pricing. So uh, with the new business kind body, we're on a mission to finally create uh, transparency and uh, in terms of success rates and pricing. When I first heard about Kind Body, I was so excited because I started my fertility journey about two years ago, and everything you're saying is absolutely true, which is why you started these businesses. The information out there is not clear. You're in forums and groups, and there's no real authority in the space giving you the accurate information and sharing the information that you need to know to make the right decisions. You're just you know, relying on random articles and talking to people, which can be good, but to have an authority like what you are building with Kind Body and 
and your other companies is truly incredible. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. I think, you know, what I've learned through the last kind of three businesses, including this most recent Kind Body, is you must really be in the provision of services to really affect and change healthcare. Um, the only three only three things matter in healthcare: patient experience, patient outcome, and cost. And so the previous businesses, whether that was in Fertility Authority or whether it was at Progeny, um, these are businesses that sit on the periphery of the true healthcare ecosystem. We were never in the doctor business. Um, so as a as an add-on, as an adjunct to the doctor, um, you're adding costs to the system instead of actually removing costs to the system. So you really can't effectuate change. Even when we had Fertility Authority, uh, we were publishing rates as they were provided to us by doctors. But if the doctors changed the rates or had improved success rates or less success rates, there was a lag between um, what the success rate or what the pricing was and getting that information out to a public vehicle like Fertility Authority. So you know, the biggest lesson learned for me as a f- entrepreneur in the women's health fertility space is you have to be in the doctor business. So now I think once you're in the provision of services, you really can create change. This is the first business where you can truly affect pricing, truly affect outcome, and truly affect patient service and patient experience. Can you walk us through the process of starting your first company? So you went through your fertility experience. You have this idea. How did you come up with it, and how did you turn it into an actual business? Yeah, so my first business was actually in media and entertainment. I had a publishing firm in Atlanta, Georgia called The Leader Publishing Group, and we were in the magazine business and um, the event business. My degree is in radio television, so I really thought I would be in the radio, television, in the media space. As the media landscape started to change and everything moved kind of from print advertising to online advertising, um, again, you, what, you, what great successful entrepreneurs do is they adapt, right? They talk about pivoting um, and solving problems. And so um, after I had the publishing business, I really, the writing was on the wall that the print advertising, you just couldn't you couldn't measure print advertising like you could online advertising. So I sold the business in Atlanta, um, moved to New York. I was single and 35, and that seemed like the absolute best thing to do would be single and 35, not, living yeah. in Manhattan. <laughs> um, I met my husband two years later, and that seemed young. 37 years old to be meeting your spouse seemed about the right age to me. Um, turns out it is, in my opinion, about the right age to meet your partner. It is the wrong age to be thinking about having children. And so you will hear certainly a passion amongst me and our team members to really get that message out younger, that really to affect success and improve success as it relates to fertility, you have to start with um, younger eggs, mm-hmm. just getting that message out to a younger female. So when I started Fertility Authority, I, the lessons I had learned were in the media and entertainment business, or excuse me, the media and advertising business. So I knew how to monetize advertising on a website, and it was very similar to monetizing print magazines. Um where we excelled uh, was always this focus on content, right? And so if you put out premium content, you can sell advertising for a premium rate. So we did that. Um, we became the trusted source. We had a million and a half um, users every month at Fertility Authority. Wow. Um, and again, I think the other um, factor that affects success for entrepreneurs is the ability to listen to their customers. And our customers at Fertility Authority were really the fertility doctors and the fertility patients. And the patients were asking us, us to make referrals for them. Hey, I just moved to Dallas. Who should I see? I just moved to Topeka, Kansas. Who should I see? And we had this network of trusted fertility doctors, and then there's all of these patient inquiries. So we were 
we 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 pivoted the business from what was fundamentally advertising business to a doctor network business where fertility authority very similar to progeny adds a margin in between kind of what the doctor's rate is and then what the patient makes and and again that's an intermediary and in that in the most basic instance that's an insurance company when did you decide to leave that business and start your next business yeah um i think again it's about um skating to where the puck is going and anticipating change i'm seeing change that's coming in the industry and then not being afraid to be the first one to adopt change um what I mean by that is the healthcare industry is changing dramatically, right? So the insurance companies that used to be the the payers of all of these medical claims when you had twins and they were premature and it caused a hardship on the health system, those payers used to pay those high cost claims. What's happened in healthcare is more and more of that cost burden has moved to employers. Self-insured employers now pay those bills instead of the insurance companies. So by definition, self-insured companies do not want an insurance broker to sit in between them and the provider network. Um, so it was relatively easy to think about, again, building kind body. If, if you have this knowledge that's accumulated over a decade, you certainly have more knowledge accumulated over a decade than you had five years ago and 10 years ago. It's about taking the feedback from the patients who say, I still struggle finding a good experience at any fertility clinic. Again, when you're on the periphery of healthcare, you can't affect, I, I couldn't at Fertility Authority or Progeny affect your patient experience because I wasn't delivering the experience. At Kind Body, we deliver the experience. We have REIs, reproductive endocrinologists and infertility specialists on staff. They're team members of ours. We have OBGYNs on staff. So really, you know, it's it's about um, thinking ahead, knowing where healthcare is going, not where it is today. Uh, the health plans still play a big part. Um, predominantly, fertility is still cash pay. Um, we're hopeful, like everybody else, that more and more um, employers will cover a fertility benefit. We think they'll get there faster on IVF than they will for egg freezing. Although, again, we're seeing more and more employers covering both. We really think about it as a family building benefit. But as you build businesses and, and you think about healthcare, our responsibility to our customers, our stakeholders, and to just each other as Americans is to remove costs from the system, not add costs to the system. What was the process like when you realized, <clears throat> I have to start KindBody to really change this whole process? And how long did it take to, to launch the company? Yeah, um, really, you know, I set out of market for a year, um, really thinking about what I wanted to do next. I had, you know, I was blessed that I had a lot of relationships. They, I maintained those relationships. Um, and, and again, it's just about listening to your your friends, um, I have mentors and advisors who have allowed for my success throughout my career. And I can remember receiving calls from private equity firms that wanted to get into the fertility business. And I would say, in my opinion, the fertility business is actually not big enough um, to, to really create the change that women are seeking. When you would talk to patients or just girlfriends of mine, they would talk about the poor experience they had in a fertility clinic, but then they would also talk about all of these other adjacent services, whether that's acupuncture, or mental health, or nutrition and obesity, or simply gynecological care. I'm doing all of these things. Yes, <laughs> but it's all bifurcated, yeah, right? Yeah, and absolutely. you're like, why am I running all over yeah. town? Here's my mental health specialist. Here's my GY. Like, 
I, I don't understand why there's not one solution that would just treat the whole woman. Absolutely. And so that's really the genesis of kind body. Not only would we hear that from patients like yourself, Stephanie, but really when you talk to the self-insured employers, and we do hear they are incredibly sincere and passionate too about creating a better system for their own employees, um, a better way to attract and retain female employees, and would easily get behind a women's center where all services were under one roof, where that where it wasn't so taxing. Think about the time out of work, jumping on the train, getting back in the subway, or jumping back I'm in a car. Running around the city yeah. every single day to and it's incredibly yeah. inefficient. Yeah. Think about that, what that does to you, and really what it does to your productivity as an employee for your employer. And so, again, I think uh, the the real genesis of Kind Body came from just listening from incredibly frustrated patients and really the employers which we anticipate to embrace kind body as well. And I think as business owners Mm -hmm. and people who are employing actually so many women, you know, we have Aetna Health Insurance and Aetna doesn't cover, they cover some things, but they don't cover IVF and a lot of fertility treatments. So I didn't even know that it was even an option to have additional benefits that our company or other companies can cover to be able to cover fertility. We thought we can't because the state doesn't approve it. So it is what it is with Aetna. So we didn't even know that there were that there were other options. Yeah, I, I think, Stephanie, you look like the majority of consumers today, right? And I think the health plans are starting to get on board with kind of some of the new science and technology. Um, I don't know what Aetna's plan design is today. I know a couple of years ago, Aetna's plan design insisted that you undergo six IUI cycles before you move on to IVF. And again, if you understand the healthcare system and how broken it is, um, that means even if your fertility doctor says you need IVF, so you've been clinically indicated that you need IVF, your plan design does not allow for IVF. You must go through and fail six IUI cycles before you proceed with what the doctor has said is best clinically indicated for you. And so you do that if you understand the healthcare system now, because IUI is less expensive to reimburse the doctor than the IVF is, except that if you really understand the healthcare system as it relates to reproductive health, the big hardship in the healthcare system is not the difference between the price of IUI and the price of IVF. It's actually the ramification of an stimulated IUI cycle which is what ends up in many cases with these multiples, twins and triplets. Because in IVF, you can control how many embryos you're putting back. We at Kind Body would suggest you transfer embryos one at a time so that you have singletons. Um, In a IUI, which again, most health plans insist that you perform and go through IUIs and fail those before you go to the best course of treatment, Um, the IUI is is a stimulated um, but there is no control, no ability to control for the number of embryos are fertilized. So if you actually look at the data, where are all these multiples coming from? And remember, the multiples is what creates the most cost to the healthcare system. They're coming from these IUI yeah. cycles, not from IVF. I think the plans will catch up, but these plans are multi, multi-billion dollar businesses. Fertility is a fraction that hits their bottom line. The majority of the cost comes from the maternity-related care. So if you just look at the maternity-related care and you start looking at the severe preeclampsia cases and these high NICU cases, you will eventually trace it back to these stimulated IUI cases. 
I just happen to be very close to it and know this. And, you know, but it's a it's a small percentage that hits any of the health plans yeah. today. I've learned a lot about fertility struggles and treatment just because Stephanie has been going through it for the past two years. But for myself, who's now 31 and really not thinking about having a kid anytime soon, uh, how are you speaking to those women, the women in their early 20s who are, you know, far away potentially from thinking about having their first child and may not know that this is something, this is a challenge that they may go through when the time comes. Yeah, we want women simply to have options. Um, When we think uh, uh, and talk as a team at Kind Body and all of us, the team at Kind Body is incredibly experienced. I work with um, the best team in the country, uh, in my opinion, respectfully. I, I, I just do. And so when we think about what we're on a mission to do, it's to create parity in the workforce, right? It's to create parity on cap tables. It's, it's to create wealth parity. It's to create political parity. We cannot do that as women, for women, by women, until we address the number one thing that creates the lack of parity today. And the lack of parity today, and data proves this, is because women get off the career track to go home and have children, and then they have a hard time returning to work. So we want to create parity. We want you to have options as a 31-year-old single female, because you are, we also want you to feel empowered and to change your mind. When I was 31, I was running another business in Atlanta. It was going really well. We had you know, Atlanta is home to so many Fortune 500 businesses. So we were having parties with Ted Turner, and uh, Bob Nardelli and Arthur Blank. And, you know, I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have children. I mean, people are like, you're 31. Why aren't you getting married? I'm like, married? I'm 31. You know, <laughs> this seems so foreign to me. Uh, but when I met my husband, I was like, wow, I should get married and have children. <laughs> um, you know, and, and all that says is women are allowed to change their minds um, you think differently about what your life will look like at, 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 from 15 to 20 to 25 to 30. And what we don't want to be, we're, what we don't want to hear from women is what we've continued to hear for the last 10 years, which is, I wish I would have known then what I know now. Say it every day. <laughs> That's what we're trying to prevent. That's what we're trying to help 31-year-olds understand yeah. is what can we learn from women 10 years older than me, 20 years older than me. And we would simply just tell you to have options. Um, today, we would also tell you those options of egg freezing are cost prohibitive. They just are. It's $10,000. And most people, even in New York City, uh, don't have $10,000 to spend on an option. And so we're passionate about bringing price down at Kind Body. Um, our price is $62.50, which is, again, a 40% less than most um, of the market here in New York or any other major market. So in order to be able to provide this as an option for more patients and more 31-year-olds to be able to go through treatment, you do have to be, again, in the ability to affect pricing bring prices down. We also offer payment plans so that more women can afford this. If if you say, we want to help women do this, but you're only selling to the top 1%, um, that goes fundamentally against our mission at Kind Body. We want egg freezing to be a choice for everyone. That doesn't mean the top 1% in Manhattan. That means anybody in San Antonio or Charlotte, North Carolina, or again, Topeka, Kansas can freeze their eggs and we can make it affordable for them to do so. When do you think is the right age for a woman to start thinking about this? So you're never going to be as fertile as you are today. um, And that's just factual. Um, Your fertility starts to decline when you're in your late 20s, starts to decline after you're 30, and it starts to severely decline after 35. 
I think the difference between now and kind of when we started Fertility Authority 10 years ago, 10 years ago, we used to think that fertility declined at the age of 40. Mm. And that was a challenge for sure, because at 40, it is a severe decline. It's less than 5% all women can conceive with their own eggs. It, we have done a good job of, as an industry of getting the message out that fertility now declines after 35. But as an example, we know we, we've you know, we have our mobile pop-up. We've tested almost 1,000 women. Their AMH blood test, they run the gamut. They could be 25. They could be 40. Um, we know today that 20% of all women tested have diminished ovarian reserve. Wow. And instead of scaring you with that information, we want to empower you. Like, we just think information is power, and we don't want you to be caught blindsided at 37 or however old you are, 34, yeah. 34 to know at a very young age, you have diminished ovarian reserve. Why didn't somebody tell me that when I was 26 or 27 and could have done something about it? So, um, again, we really... If you choose not to freeze your eggs with us, that's okay. We we support you and we embrace that. What we would like to do is for you to just get an assessment so you know. And we think women are significantly more sophisticated today than ever before, and they're not afraid of knowledge. In fact, they're more curious mm -hmm. than they're ever before. They're curious about wellness. They're curious about their mental health. They're curious about their menstrual cycles. You know, when I grew up, you listened to historically you know, the older male OBGYN, and he said, don't have sex until you're 25 and married. And I'm like, whoa, maybe he doesn't know I've already had sex. Let's not tell him that part, you know? And so, you know, I just think the way women buy services, the way they think about OBGYNs today, the way they think about their re reproductive health, we know 80% of the time, females prefer a female doctor. Yeah. What is your preference, Stephanie? I would prefer female, but my current fertility doctor is male. And actually, today was my last appointment. I graduated today. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. We see that. Again, in the fertility industry, it's overwhelmingly yeah. male. Um, and it's it, again, it's, it's one of the things we're working to change because we know patient behavior. 80% of the time, women prefer a female doctor. Coming up, you'll hear about Kind Body's innovative launch and how they did something like nothing we've ever seen before. I went to your first fertility pop-up a few months ago for the launch. I was seeing it all over social media, in Instagram ads, and I knew we had to come by. And you literally had a line of women waiting outside your mobile pop-up. How did you make this happen? Yeah. Uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, but the success of any early stage business is only about its team and putting the right experienced team members in place early. We had the van, uh, the mobile pop-up, uh, ready and in place about a month, month and a half before we actually officially launched. Whose idea was this to have yeah. a mobile pop-up? Well, I had seen the mobile pop-up work for other um, consumer brands. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was just brainstorming one day with Rebecca Silver, our tremendous head of marketing. And we said, okay, let's do it. It'll be unusual. And then Rebecca, the the van was ready. And she was like, let's launch. And I'm like, yeah, no, Rebecca, we're not launching. <laughs> I was like, I, you're telling me, she was like, it's going to be wildly successful. All of these women are waiting, you know, that they want this information. I was like, Rebecca, you're telling me that, women are going to show up on the side of the street in Manhattan on 5th and 25th 
and get onto a van from a company they've never heard of, see a doctor they've never heard of, and get their blood tested from a phlebotomist they've never met. And she's like, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly how it's going to happen. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. You don't understand. We have reputational risk. We can't do this. And every other day, not every day, she would go, we need to launch. We need to launch, Gina. And I was like, no, no, no. And she said, Gina, let's launch. And you just take a deep breath. And you're like, okay, well, she's in a demographic. I've aged out of the demographic. She know she must know way more than me. And so you do. I was like, okay, I trust you. Let's launch. And then, no kidding, I showed up. And there were people everywhere. There were women wrapped around the corner. And Rebecca ran up to me. She was like, I told you. I was like, I know, you're brilliant. <laughs> but, you know, and then I think once you see that kind of embrace from a bunch of people you don't know and who uh, who you don't know them and they don't know you, then you really lean into it. So we did, you know, um, start leaning into the growth. We took the mobile pop-up to the Hamptons and then we did another mobile pop-up in Midtown. This time we said, we really don't want you to wait. So we opened up a hundred appointments that you could pre-book and they were gone in 18 minutes. And then we said, okay, let's, let's prove to see if this works on the West coast. So then we took, you know, Rebecca, we joked that we were going to take a road show and drive the van across (laughs) the country. We instead uh, decided to put it on a flatbed truck. Uh, We were in Palo Alto on September 24th in downtown San Francisco on September 25th. And again, this enormous support Again, long wait times, we're still trying to work through some long wait times. It just means you have to open up even more capacity, more doctors, more nurses, more phlebotomists. And now, crazy Rebecca has convinced us, now we're going to Los Angeles. We'll be downtown Los Angeles next Wednesday, December 13th, and then in Culver City, Beverly Hills next Thursday. So, you know, it's now we're having more data. We are making data-driven decisions coupled with instinctive decisions, Um, but the, the demand for Kind Body, this brand, this new way of delivering women's services really is resonating. Now we're getting inquiries from, when are you coming to London? When are you coming to Singapore? And we're like, wait a minute. So anyway, I think it is amazing. How and we are you really... getting the word out about where these uh, mobile pop-ups are going to be? Yeah. I mean, I think it's social media. It's Instagram. And it's the embrace of really women supporting women, the power of women. And it's really this generation In my generation, there was only ever one seat in the boardroom, right? And so when I was growing up, you saw women that were, you know, and I'm I'm, I'm certainly stereotyping, but, you know, they were catty, you know, and I think women today, like never before, are really embracing and really pushing other women forward and supporting other women. Um, I think it has to do with Me Too and Time's Up. And and really, when we support other women and we say, I think, first of all, there are more seats in the boardroom for women now, you Mm -hmm. know, but there's really been this change in the last um, five to 10 years, how we treat other women. And we treat other women now with enormous respect and enormous authority. And we defer to them. You know, again, I, I don't question Rebecca's decisions at all anymore. I just follow, <laughs> like, I'm like, tell me where to be and tell me what to do and I'll do it. <laughs> um, and so I think, again, that support that you see amongst team members at Kind Body is now pervasive through our Kind Body Instagram platform. And it really is this mission of women supporting other women. Let's talk about your brand because you yeah. have built a not only a beautiful brand, but it's memorable. There's clear messaging. And I know I read in an article <clears throat> you were talking about Soul Cycle and Dry Bar and opening up places where um, you know, those locations are around for your location. So how did this whole brand come to be? How did you 
how did you build it? Yeah. So again, it, it's only about the team. We held focus groups. We listened to customers. Again, Rebecca's been with us since the very beginning. And brand is, you know, marketing is a big umbrella. And then it's public relations and it's advertising and it's brand. And, and Rebecca owns all of that right now, but her sweet spot really is this brand. And so everything we think about, we think about brand first. And our new 102 Fifth Avenue location, you know, is the artwork on the wall, um, uh, respectful of our brand? Do we have brand voices? How do we think about um, terms? How do we go to market? Like every single time we think about brand. Um, you know, I think, again, it, the women have really embraced this brand. They love the yellow. Mm -hmm. um, they do put us with SoulCycle and Drybar. We had said that when we think about entering new markets and standing up new locations, we do look for adjacent brands. We look for, you know, if you look at SoulCycle, the majority of their Customers are the same demographic. That's true for Dry Bar. It's true for Heyday. We think about other brand adjacencies, again, and building a solution that really is about women and making your life easier, empowering you and building um, facilities that are convenient for you on a retail level. Uh, we've talked for 10 years about getting rid of the stigma that exists in fertility. Well, the stigma is because historically your fertility clinic was in a hospital in the back room and it was all white sterile and it, it was sterile. And, yeah. and, and so now we think just bringing the brand to a retail level and putting it in high profile, easy to access locations really um, again, builds that brand affinity and the loyalty between the patient population and us as executives and really stewards of this brand. Yeah. And I know delighting your patients is something that's so important to you and staying on brand. So we yeah. have a special surprise for you. Oh, you do? So the flowers that are sitting next to you right now oh are actually gosh, for you. Oh my gosh, they're gorgeous. <laughs> Look at that. And they're so on brand, and right? Of course. And then oh, this Stephanie, bag over thank here. You. Oh my goodness. Ladies, thank open you. the card. It's in the oh. card. You open the card that's inside that one. Oh, there's a little surprise the for you inside there. Thank you, Rebecca. And I brought you surprises too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, how sweet, guys. It's a um, Soul Cycle uh, gift card. So, um, and again, I think it's another Soul's a great brand uh, led by a female CEO. Yeah. You really. You know, as female executives, it's hard because as you scale organizations, um, you're often a target. And so as women executives, regardless of where you are in the organization, how can we protect and embrace each other? So a quick shout out to Mel Whelan, uh, CEO of SoulCycle. I'm a huge fan. But thanks, ladies. Yes, that was so enjoy. thoughtful. And yeah, I know there's one you. right down the street from your Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, on Tribeca. Yeah, it's one of their early locations, and I'm there uh, most every weekend. Yeah, and something you, you just talked about that I actually want to ask you about is, you know, being a CEO in general, whether you're male or female, it subjects you to a lot of criticism. You know, you can't do anything right. Um, you're really – you're putting yourself out there, out in the spotlight and having to make these decisions. How do you deal with the stress that comes along with that? Or if that's even stressful to you. Maybe at this point you're just above it. Yeah. I don't know that you ever get above it. I do think it becomes less painful, right? I think um, – and, and it's it, a lot of things just become easier just through experience, right? And whether that's hiring decisions or whether it's firing decisions or whether it's, you know, other critical decisions that CEOs are charged with. When we think about fundraising and who makes the best partner for us, um, it, it does get easier. It's always hard to be criticized. I'm mindful this week that we lost um, a great American in George H.W. Bush and hearing his son talk about being criticized as the president of the United States. And I think, 
you know, I have a hard job, but I would never want that yeah. job. I mean, I, you have to applaud the folks that run for political office and then much less that you got to be president of the United States. And to me, we owe them enormous respect because of how much they sacrifice. But um, uh, uh, President Bush, the younger President Bush, was talking about how even the criticism hurts him today, mm-hmm. you know. And so I don't think any of us are immune to the criticism. I think it's less stinging as you get older and you've seen more of it. But I think you've probably lost your internal core if you don't acknowledge, you know, it stings. It's not fun to be criticized. Um, none of us are infallible. We're all going to make mistakes. I think the biggest thing is you get older, you're much more, um, you have a lot more self-confidence and you're way more apt to acknowledge your mistakes and own your mistakes first. And I think that that's, if you've made a mistake historically as a leader, you were like, okay, I'm infallible. I'm not allowed to uh, admit my mistakes um, and I can, can't speak for everybody else, but today I'll typically own my mistakes mm-hmm. almost always early and first. And then you'll see it works both professionally and personally. If you own your mistakes, you can get by the problems much, much faster. So just own mistakes. Don't sweat it and move on. Can you tell us about a time maybe in one of your earlier companies <clears throat> you made a mistake and what you learned from it and how you've maybe tried not to repeat those mistakes going forward into a kind body? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I had a lot of really difficult decisions to make. In my most recent, my last business, um, we had a, a, a disparate piece of the business. It was a medical device business. It missed product market fit. Um, and, you know, my responsibility as CEO was really to help commercialize that technology. And, you know, being asked to help sell a product that had really missed product market fit, some of the clinical trials didn't come back as favorable as our investors would have hoped. And it's really um, a delicate uh, decision and it requires a ton of finesse to be able to talk to board and uh, board and investors that says we missed product market fit, you know, and, and, and by the way, venture people are in the business of making these big bets, particularly in life sciences and biotech that the clinical trials may or may not come um, to fruition and come back in your favor and what CEOs do when those clinical trials come back not in your favor and how you finesse that relationship with the board that says, we, we've got to do something else with this product, but I'm not comfortable um, misrepresenting the value of this product as it relates to um, selling it into providers or, or, or um, patients. So, you know, at that time, typically, I think the other thing you've learned or I've learned as you get older is to be patient. Um, most entrepreneurs are very instinctive, so I would encourage them to um, try to balance that instinctive, that gut tuition that gets them so far, but that when you're faced with a d- very difficult decision, that you take some time and you really think about uh, the best way for it to end for all parties and the best way to communicate tough news. And a lot of times that's just starting a dialogue, letting the other party uh, weigh your uh, discussion and really working through a solution that is a more patient, deliberate solution than anything that seems instinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I would say that's definitely been the biggest challenge for me and probably Stephanie is our impatience. Yeah. Uh, I definitely feel like I've become more impatient over the years and figuring out ways to be more patient, take more time to make decisions because I just feel like I'm always under the gun yeah. or the clock is ticking, whether yeah. it's, you know, the you're racing the clock at work to get things done or even now a biological clock because yeah. I just turned 30 or yeah. 31. Uh, do you have any suggestions on how to be more patient? 
Um, I think you have to commit to it, remind yourself, and then surround yourself with other people who you want to emulate and learn from. And, you know, um, Stephanie, I did go through IVF. I'm proud. I have twin boys now, and they're seven, and they're so fun, and we live downtown Manhattan. But you can see them um, mimicking me, right? And so one of my seven-year-olds was like, Mom, I was frustrated at school today, and you know what I did? I breathed. I took a deep (laughs) breath. And I just breathe. My and goodness. I'm like, oh, my yeah. goodness. No, I, I'm positive he yeah. learned that from me where I'm like, Ryan, it's okay. Don't get so easily frustrated. Just take a deep breath and breathe. And he was like, Mom, I was frustrated in school today. And I just breathed. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, again, I think as we get older, you do have the time to kind of reflect back and really think now what are what is my impact? What is my impact on Rebecca Silver? What is my impact on my seven-year-old son? What is my impact on my team? And truly, how can I get better as a leader? And it's not if I'm impatient and if it's not if I'm running around. It's if I take time and really breathe. Breathing. Yeah. I have to do more breathing. of that. Yeah. yeah, that's what my mother always tells me, to meditate. Take five minutes yeah. or ten minutes for yourself yeah. every morning, which exactly. I try to do, but I'm not always successful. Well, yeah. I'm going to need twin parenting advice from you because I did IVF and we put in one. Yes. And it's split. split. <clears throat> yeah. So congratulations. <laughs> so happy for you. There is a higher when you – this is kind of crazy, yeah. but science, but uh, when you biopsy yep. the trifectoderm now, you've opened that up. And so there is a per- higher propensity for twins, even once you um, transfer a single yeah. embryo. But congratulations. Thank so you. happy for you. I say the universe wouldn't give me anything that I couldn't handle. So yeah. we'll make it work and I'll get some advice from and you. And again, <laughs> I'm fundamentally, I'm going to stay on mission. It's only about a team. Yeah. And so, you know, I think about I was running Fertility Authority. We sold uh, Fertility Authority to create progeny. And this was all when my kids were being born. And then, you know, I was traveling across the country as they were in preschool. But I had this amazing nanny. And I have a support system in my husband. And my in-laws are on Long Island. And so you can do this, um, but it takes a team, a, a tremendous team to support you along the way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I read an article that you have a lot of twins in your family. I do, yeah. So it's crazy uh, because I'm a twin and my husband's a twin. So um, wild. And then, so we are not through IVF, but then my twin sister has twins, courtesy IVF. We have twins, courtesy IVF. And then my husband's twin brother has twins, courtesy IVF. So you should start an IVF company if you're going to have all this. Oh, wow. Yeah, We have to start so, a twin convention. We have to start a twin convention. <laughs> we do. Coming up, we're going to do a fun brainstorm with Gina to figure out her next big idea with Kind Body. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. So something fun that we always do with our guests is we will do a 60-second brainstorm where Stephanie and I will come up with ideas in 60 seconds, and we will discuss or think about something that you might need help with. So is there a topic or is there something coming up that you would want our brain power for? 
Yeah, I think um, I've gone back to how valuable our team is. In order to be able to accomplish all of our goals, we're going to need more team members. So when we think about we need folks in operations, we need clinical team members, so that's nurses and medical assistants. Um, We need sales and business development executives. We need financial experts. You know, so the biggest need right now is helping us with our rapidly growing, expanding team and finding folks that are not only qualified um, from a competency standpoint, from a skill set standpoint, but you can you can hear how much we value culture mm-hmm. and that we're all a cultural fit, and how much values and owning your mistakes and not being afraid to take risk are important. So, people. All right, I have some ideas. We have sixty seconds on the clock. So ideas on how to recruit top talent. So this is something that Courtney and I have done. And actually, Alexandra, who was a previous guest on the show, this is something she shared she's been doing as well, but creating video content. And it could be you speaking or Rebecca or other team members about what it's really like to work at Kind Body, what the experience is like. So you recruit people that are just as passionate and talented as you are and putting those out on your social channels, running them as ads, targeting to people of certain professions so you can attract the right people to the business. And something they do too, and this goes along with what Stephanie was saying, is we use Instagram as a recruiting tool. So we're always showcasing the behind the scenes of the company to give people a glimpse on what it would be like to to work at Socialfly. So I definitely recommend that. And of course, LinkedIn is always a powerful tool for recruiting. So I don't know if you have an in-house recruiter, but definitely utilize LinkedIn, utilize all social networks, and um, ask your current employees if they know anyone that would be a good fit and give them a referral bonus. That's what we do. You get a referral bonus if you uh, recruit someone who stays at Socialfly for six months, they get a referral bonus and then a year. Yeah. What great ideas. Thanks, lady. Yeah. yeah very welcome. helpful. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Was that 60 seconds? All right. We did it. Perfect. So I want to know what has really surprised you the most about the launch of Kind Body? Yeah. Um, again, it, it really goes back to the patients. Um, they are having all of these discussions online on Instagram about Oh, did you get your Los Angeles appointment? No, I had to get it the next day. Well, maybe if another appointment frees up, I'll let you know. Like, again, this dialogue of women supporting women, um, social media has been able to allow for that. But five or 10 years ago, you just didn't have this community of these amazing women to collaborate. And it goes beyond collaboration today. It's really collaboration, support, and stimulating for a change or um, creating a cause um, today, the community can be very reactive and 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 proactive versus you you just when you were when you were on a forum six or seven years ago, there wasn't this um, way, this effective way to communicate and create change. And now Instagram has allowed for that. So. And I could share exactly what you said. I mean, I started sharing my fertility journey on Instagram this past year. And had I not done that and been so vulnerable and open, I wouldn't be pregnant right now because someone who I met through Instagram referred me to my immune doctor. Yeah. And had I not gone to that doctor, there's probably zero chance I'd actually be pregnant right now. So because I shared and was connecting with people and asking for for recommendations, it's just been incredible. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So so tell us what's next for, for Kind Body and what's also next for you later today when you walk out the door. Yeah. I think um, what's next for us for Kind Body is to continue to lean into this growth. The patients want 
you know, more facilities, more convenient facilities. So we talked to our San Francisco patients. They're like, okay, well, I live in Palo Alto, but I commute to San Francisco. Is there anything in Palo Alto that that can help me from Kind Body? And then we have patients that are in the East Bay and Danville. And when are we coming to Walnut Creek? And so we're really thinking about how to enter markets faster, more mm. cost-effectively, and quicker. Um, you know, we're always leaning on, again, our existing team members, looking for new team members. And then I think um, support from the capital community. We've raised um, our seed round. We're in market for our Series A now. Um, the response from the uh, venture community has been overwhelming. And again, very different than even four years ago. Mm. I was in market raising money for Fertility Authority four years ago. We know today that less than 5% of all venture money is run by women. Mm -hmm. It's 1.7% in private equity. So you should assume if you're raising money from a women's healthcare company that you're talking to men. And historically, men would say, are you sure this women's health care is going to be big? Is it going to change? Uh, that was four years ago. Today, um, men are making inbound calls to us. Uh, there's not this, you know, this is a big issue. Women need to be treated as different instead of second-class citizens in healthcare. They need to be thought of as first, and they're the primary decision makers. That The men now know that, and they're incredibly supportive and embrace the Women's Health Initiative. So, um, of course, we would love for our funders to be diverse, and that means that we do think first about finding um, female LPs and female uh, GPs at the venture fund. So that's important to us. What do you think caused this shift? It's only been four years and everything's really changed. I think several businesses have gotten big in a short amount of time. If you look at the business I founded of Progeny, um, today, in, t less, in two and a half years, Progeny has a fertility benefit for 33 of Fortune 500 businesses. Um, that kind of growth is hard to get if there's not some sort of macroeconomic trends that's causing all of that rapid growth. So when venture folks see this rapid growth in any kind of vertical, they have a tendency to really follow that rapid growth. So it really has been because some of the uh, women's healthcare companies that were started most recently in the last three to five years have seen enormous kind of um, J-curve hockey stick growth um, kind of metrics. What has been the biggest lesson that you've learned when you've raised money? Stephanie and I have never raised money, so I'm very, very curious. We did everything organically, yeah. never did it. Yeah, I think um, – the difference is what a track record makes. Um, you know, I have a colleague, Joanne Schneider's on the roadshow with me now, and, you know, we get meetings now. And the doc, uh, excuse me, the, the venture community is very receptive. There's not been anybody that we wanted to present to that we didn't get a meeting with. And, and that's because of my track record. Historically, I, I, every, every time we leave a meeting, I smile to Joanne. And I'm like, just so you know, it's not this easy. I mean, historically, you are pounding the pavement. You're making 200 calls to just get one meeting. Right now, when we reach out to get one meeting, we, we do get one meeting, and there is often high interest, high engagement. And so I think really that difference in how um, primarily our male friends, male venture capitalists, it's two things. A, um, they are certainly very receptive to women's health now. It is hard to find serial entrepreneurs um, who have had wildly successful exits, mm -hmm. and so it's hard to underestimate um, my track record allows for a lot in the ability to raise capital now versus even four years ago. That's so incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely fun, more fun and lots easier having a track yeah. record than not. Gina, you were so nice to bring a special offer for our listeners today who want to learn more about Kind Body and their body and have their fertility checked. 
what can someone expect when they come to Kind Body and what, what are your services? Yeah, well, we offer full services today. So that's IUI, it's IVF, it's egg freezing. What we would tell all women to do is just to start with a facility fertility assessment. Again, knowledge is power. So what is a fertility assessment? It is an ultrasound scan that does an antral follicle count, and it's blood work. And so it's going to test all your hormone levels related to your fertility. That's going to be your AMH, your FSH, your progesterone, your E2. Uh, The fertility assessment is usually less than an hour. It's the ultrasound scan, the blood work, and then a consultation with one of our medical directors. Um, That consultation um, in New York City or any of the other major markets is usually a thousand dollars Again, um, at Kind Body, we talk about um, creating parity for women, uh, increasing accessibility for fertility services. We've brought the price down. Um, our fertility assessment is typically $250, but we are offering a special price for the entrepreneurista and social fly um, community. And so it'll be $140. Uh, that is available only between now and the end of the year. Oh, thank you so much. So for everyone who's listening, if you're interested in your fertility assessment, you can email navigator at kindbody.com and, men- and mention the Entrepreneurista podcast and they will help you schedule your appointment and you'll be good to go. You can find out all about your fertility. Absolutely. Thank Knowledge you so is much. power. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, ladies. And one last question yeah, for sure. you. What does it mean to you to be an entrepreneurista? Um, to be supported and embraced to take risk by women for women. Great, great. I love that. I love that. Gina, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know our listeners have learned so much from you, and I truly appreciate you being here. Where can everyone find you and follow you? Yeah, I'm at Gina Bartese uh, on Instagram. So we'll see you there. Thank you, ladies. Really appreciate today and really have enjoyed this. Thank Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another incredible entrepreneurista. Until then, I'm Stephanie. I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting you've ever had. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneurs. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Entrepreneurista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2018, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening.